Reformed Church. So let's do this. Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. You know, and I, I tell you, I, I, every time I go back, every once in a while, uh, I go back to my paper Bible and I get all my bookmarks again. And you know, I was, last night, I was, just, I was just spending some time with the Lord and I picked up the bookmark and I said, my gosh, this, this is really a, such an awesome bookmark. L- listen, listen to what it says. Don't beat yourself, uh, don't beat yourself up over it. Um, Jesus already was, right? Like he was already beat up for the thing that you're beating yourself up over, right? It, it, now, that's, that's such a simple statement, but isn't it such a cool and profound thing for you to know that the things that you guilt yourself over, the things that you're beating yourself up over, right? He already was beat up for that. I mean, literally beat up for that, right? Uh, uh, afflicted over it, um, there was, I'm positive, right, in the mind of Jesus, right, the deepest of grief and worry and concern and fear, all of that, come upon his mind, right, uh, so, so that it would not have to be upon our mind. And then when you read the back, it's a cool thing. It says, if we feel hurt inside when we do something wrong, most people would call that a healthy conscience. But any hurt that you think is appropriate to bear when you sin is something that you don't believe Jesus already bore. Simply said, go ahead and feel whatever hurt you believe Jesus didn't take at the cross. If Jesus only bore partial hurt for sin, then you should bear the rest of it. But if Jesus paid the full price and bore all the hurt that sin deserves, then there's nothing left for you. Live free of hurt, guilt, and condemnation now. There's been enough of that for one age, right? And, and, and like when you think of that, isn't, isn't it a, a cool thing to understand that, you know, that, that, that doesn't come, like the revelation of that doesn't come from you just hearing that once and say, oh, thank God, like I don't have to feel guilty. But it's, it's an understanding and knowing that he took that guilt, that he took that hurt, that he took that pain. It's not just something that disappears because you will it, right? Hurt and guilt doesn't disappear because you try not to think about it, right? Like we we think sometimes that that's what it is. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to think about Jesus and I'm not going to think about the guilt that I feel, right? The Lord's not asking you to to just get your mind off of stuff and get your mind on Jesus. He wants you to focus your heart and for your heart to be stayed on the Lord so that you can understand why you don't have to feel guilty. Therefore, then guilt guilt will flee. Fear can flee, right? In other words, it doesn't have to be in existence in your life anymore. Not that you're trying to combat it in your mind and fight fear. You don't have to fight fear, right? He's already given you a reason for you to feel assured of the fact that you don't have to live another day of your life in fear and you can say well pastor say you don't know my situation you don't know what what my house is like you don't know what it is like living the way that i'm living and the people that i'm living with and you can say all that you want but i can guarantee you that you don't understand the extent that christ went to and the suffering that he suffered right in order for you to for you to feel uh sure and assured in any circumstance that you're in, regardless of what it is, for you to feel sure that if you grow in the knowledge of what he's done for you and you, and you understand the right access that he's given you to everything that you could need, that you would, you will, guaranteed, and, and the Lord says, we'll read it in a second, he said that anyone who believes in the Lord will never be ashamed. In other words, there is no such thing. It does not exist in this creation, in this world, or in the world to come, that there is an individual or a person that puts their faith in Christ, that grows in the knowledge of God, that does not reign in life, 
right? There is no such thing that doesn't happen. There is no such thing as unfruitfulness or barrenness that comes from faith in Jesus. It's not like that, right? Barrenness and unfruitfulness comes from the lack thereof, not from the existence of the knowledge of Christ, right? It's just, it's a beautiful thing to think about. But anyway, let's go, let's go to, we said Romans 10, but let's do Romans 9. Look at verse number 31. Romans 9, 31. Romans 9.31 says, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, Israel here is talking about uh, the Jewish nation, right, trying to live by the Ten Commandments of the Lord. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, which means trying to attain to, the righteous, to, to a righteousness by keeping the commandments of God. In other words, the understanding that says that, that um, the way for me to become righteous is to do everything right personally myself, that if I do things right, I'm blessed, right? That understanding is that law of righteousness, right? Which followed after the law of righteousness have not attained to the law of righteousness. In other words, the people that, and and listen, there is no one that knows better. There is no one that knows better and is a greater example of the utter failure that it is to try to live by works, right? To try to achieve a righteousness of your own, right? There is no one better than the people of Israel that, that re- they were the ones that received the law. Forget about Gentiles like in, in the sense like us that are non-physical Jews, right? But, but the Jewish nation that were given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, they were there, right? They were there at the foot of that mountain. They heard, the, they heard Moses speak these things to them, right? There is no one better than the ones that received it firsthand, right? That, that never understood the purpose for which that law was given, the majority of them, not all, but the majority of them, and are perfect examples of the utter failure that it is to try to live that way, right? They never achieved it. They tried to live by a law to be able to come to righteousness, a righteousness of their own, and they never got to it. That, that scripture is as clear as can be. Verse number 32 says, wherefore, because they sought it not by faith. In other words, why did they not achieve it? Because they sought a righteousness that was not by faith, right? In other words, what you see in the new covenant called, right? In, well, this is the New Testament, right? What we call the righteousness of faith, right? There is a righteousness of the law and there's a righteousness that is the faith. The righteousness of the law is unattainable. It is impossible, right? It's not that some may do it, it's unattainable. And, and you have, I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture about it, right? It is, it is impossible for anyone to be justified through trying to keep the law. It, it is not an attainable thing. And I didn't say that, God said that. It is unattainable, right? Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, right? They were trying to seek righteousness by the works of the law. Now, now, why is it that righteousness is so important? Well, for the very reason that we think it's important today, right? Uh, and and there, are, there are Christians today that don't see that example or, and actually still believe that they're trying to live, right, by a law unto righteousness, right? To, to so many Christians across the world, righteousness is not a gift, Righteousness is something that they have to, and, and even if they believe it's a gift, they believe that they have to keep it, right? That you could basically lose it, that you could be righteous and, and somehow become unrighteous. Obviously, that just comes from ignorance of not knowing who your righteousness is, right? In other words, the righteousness that you possess is not just a thing that was given you. The righteousness that you possess is actually a person that you received, right? So, so it came through his labor, and, and, he, and he is our righteousness. Christ is unto us. I believe that's 1 Corinthians 1.30, I think. I have it somewhere. Um, 
Yeah, 1 Corinthians 1.30, right? That, that Christ is unto us righteousness, right? He is our righteousness. So um, let's, let's just keep going. Verse number 32, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone, right? The stumbling block or the stumbling stone is Jesus Christ. So in other words, they tripped over him. They stumbled. They, they, they were given a law so that they would see their need for the Messiah. That, listen, the Messiah had been prophesied to them for hundreds of years, right? I mean, he, the, the Messiah was prophesied all through the Old Covenant, through every law, through every action of the temple, through every action of the tabernacle, through their customs, through everything that, was, that God spoke to them, right? Christ was to be revealed, to be able to be seen, so that they could see their need for the Savior that was to come. But unfortunately, you know, something that you'll see is, even, even, in, even in the coming of the Messiah, you know that the Messiah they were waiting for was a Messiah that would come from heaven and give them the command of God, but, but not the way we see it today. But they were waiting for a Messiah that would come, give them the command of God from heaven so that they could do it, right? That's, that's vastly different from what he came to do, right? But, but so the Messiah came, Christ came in order, right, for us to be able to receive through his suffering Right? The, the abundance of the grace of God and of righteousness as a gift unto humanity, right? That we would be able to receive him and by receiving his finished work, be able to be made the righteousness of God, like Miss Lindsay pointed out before, right? But, but, but what happened with when, when, when you see righteousness, in other words, and here's where I was going before that I got off track, righteousness is important because people understand that if you are righteous, you have access, right? If you're righteous, you're blessed, right? If you're righteous, right, then, then everything is good and things work out, right? You, you, you walk in this world blessed and you, and you will see the world to come, right? But so the Jewish nation and still many people believe that righteousness is something that they either have to attain to or that they have to keep in order to not lose it, right? But, but what, 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 what that's doing is it, it, actually takes away the reason for your righteousness, right? When you, when you think that, the, that righteousness is something that you attain to, you, you will stumble over the one who is our righteousness. In other words, if Jesus came and said, I will make you the righteousness of God in Christ. You cannot make yourself righteous. I will make you the righteousness of God in Christ. So if you don't believe that and you're trying to work for your righteousness, then you will stumble as they stumbled, right? If you believe that you have to keep your righteousness, the one that you're stumbling over constantly is Jesus Christ. It is the gift of righteousness. There, listen, there is no reigning. Reigning is to live above it all, right? Reigning is not just to be above it all, but to live above it all, right? But so when we, we, there is no reigning in life, right? There is no reigning by the life of God that is on the inside of us. There is no reigning by the eternal life that we have been given. There is no reigning if we don't receive and the gift of righteousness. You can't have the gift of righteousness and then work for it, right? You will not reign. You, you, I, believe, I believe this, that you could be saved 
and be trying and, and having received the Spirit of God, right? Having received the finished work of Jesus, and because you have not grown in your knowledge very much, you can live out a life trying to be a good person, trying to pay Jesus back for what he's done, and you will not reign in this life even though you can. You will not see the abundance of the grace of God in your life because you, ha- you, you refuse to receive it. I mean, th- th- that verse is very clear, right? And, and I'll turn there real quick just to read it to you. But Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 17 says, For, for if by one man's offense death reigned, and but death reigning means, right, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was evidently working actively in the life of all people. Death reigning, right? So it's not, don't just focus on the death, but focus on the fact that it's saying that death reigned, right? Very much the same way that Brother Matthew was just talking about that, you know, allergies. That is part of death. That's part of corruption. There would be no allergies if there were no, there were no sin in the world, right? As, as people get all called up with that because it's so normal for people to say that I'm allergic to stuff, right? But, but it, well, come on. Though. Let's talk about cancer instead, not allergies. Everybody has allergies, Right? So we count that as a normal thing. But the truth is, where did it come from? It came from sin and death, right? What did Jesus come to take? Sin and death. So why would we think that we, it's okay to live like that, right? Because, well, anyway, let's, let's get off that. But the point is, he says here, um, by one man's offense, in other words, that's saying, by Adam's sin, death reigned. Death reigned in the world because of Adam's sin. Corruption reigns today because of Adam's sin. Much more, though, much more they which receive the abundance of the grace of God, right? In other words, the abundance of what God has given to us through Jesus Christ, freely given to us, without, without, without us meriting it, right? Without us working for it, right? It is given as a gift. And it says, and of the gift of righteousness. Why are both important? Because if, if you recognize the abundance of the, of the grace of God, and you know, oh, God has given me so much, but I don't feel worthy to access it, you don't think that you can or if you think that the access is not for now, the access is for later or something, right? But this is talking about now, today, right? That if you receive the abundance of the grace of God and of the gift of righteousness, if you believe that you have the right access to the grace that you stand in, Miss Lindsay also was praying about that before, right? Access into the grace in which you stand. We stand today, not tomorrow, not in the age to come, right? You stand today in the grace of God. And you have access to the grace in which you stand through the right access. Who is who? Which is what? Christ, right? Christ is our access, right? Going back real quick to Romans. Uh, Romans, Romans. So it says um, that they stumbled over the stumbling stone trying to, verse number 32 talks about, this is Romans 9, 32. Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. You see how it goes from talking about righteousness as a, as, as a gift, right? And, and not attaining to righteousness through a law of righteousness, but attaining to a righteousness by what? Verse number three clarifies that, that those who believe in him, right? The, the, there is a command of God, right? Like the, God has not ceased to command his people to a thing, right? It's just, it's not work. It's not works, right? It's not works of the law. It's not our physical works or our attaining to something that God has called us to, right? But he says, those who believe on him shall never be ashamed. Just think about that for a second. How, how awesome is it to believe and to know that your faith in God 
It never ends in you being ashamed. It never ends in it like, oh, it just didn't work. It didn't, it, it produced nothing in my life, right? Like, th- there are many things, believe me. There are lots of things that we do, not because we have to do them, but just because of lack of knowledge of God and lack of allowing him to be our wisdom. Lots of things that we do that are totally unfruitful. Like, we will do stuff, right? You will drive two hours, and I just got to find this thing because I need it. I got to get it today. I got to buy it. You drive two hours, and, and it wasn't there. It was sold out, and you just drove two hours there and two hours back for nothing, right? You just spent hours of your day with absolutely no, no fruitfulness whatsoever, right? But, but for you to know that out of the gazillion things that we do every single day that result in nothing, in fruitlessness, right? How awesome is it to know that every minute, every second of any day that you spend allowing the Lord to reveal himself to you, it is always fruitful. Always, and not just fruitful, but perpetually fruitful, right? Like, you, you, don't, you don't receive revelation of Jesus in one area, and then all of a sudden, oh, I just, I forgot it, right? You can have it out of your mind, but it's not like once it's revealed to you and your eyes are open to something, all of a sudden, then your eyes are closed to it, right? If, 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 right, if the, you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, when something is revealed to you, you can forget it, right? You, you may not be mindful of it, right? But it's revealed to you. You see it, right? You see it. So it is always fruitful, always fruitful, right? The knowledge of Jesus, right? Him who believes on him shall not be ashamed. Let's go real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Let me show you this. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I think we, I'll tell you in a second the verse we can start with. Um, 30 and verse number 10. Deuteronomy 30, 10. And then we're going to come back to Romans chapter 10 so you can see it. But um, Deuteronomy 30, 10 says, If you will hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments. So obviously he's talking about an, an obedience, right? Keeping the commandments of God is obedience, right? That, that is for sure. It was then, it still is now, right? Um, if you hearken unto the voice of the Lord, you got to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law. Now, that's important because the book of the law that we're reading is Deuteronomy, right? And the law that is being taught in Deuteronomy, obviously, he'll go over in a second, but that's what's important. He's talking about this book of the law, right? He, he says, um, if you're obedient, obviously, to keep the commandments that are written in this book of the law, and if you will turn, and, and he begins to, you begin to see the Lord, right, how he can use these things to enlighten your mind so you can see what he's talking about. He said, this book of the law, and if you, if you turn unto the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, right there, that's a pretty good key that he's saying if you obey my commands and he's he's not saying if you're a good person and you do everything that i'm telling you to do by your actions and by your works but he's saying if you turn your heart to me the complaint that the lord always had about the obedience of israel was that their physical obedience was there but their heart was far from him right that's an important thing, is, is your heart, right? The obedience that he's talking about here is you turning your heart to the Lord, right? He's saying if, you, if, they, if they were to turn unto the Lord, thy God, with all their heart and with all thy soul. Verse number 11 says, for this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from you, neither is it far off. So that's an important thing also, right? 
the, the commandment that God is saying that he's given to them is not something that's being kept from them that they have to somehow uh, decipher, right? Or it's not something that's so far in the heaven, right, that somebody has to go get it, right? But instead, what it's saying is it's not a far off. He said it is not, look at verse number 12, and you can, I want to contrast this with the revelation that the apostles had in Romans chapter 10, which is just an understanding of this verse right here, of this chapter. But they said the commandment, and, and, and keep that, please, like, keep that present in your mind. He's talking about a commandment. So, so just keep that, right? It, he's talking about a commandment. He said the commandment is not hidden from you. In other words, what God wants you to do is not hidden from you, and neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up for us to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. That's an important thing that he's saying, right? He's saying, who will go, who will go up to heaven, right? Uh, bring it to us. Bring what to us? The commandment, right? He's talking about a commandment here. He said, the commandment is not far. It's not hidden from you. It's not a far off. It says, he says, don't say, you know, it's not in heaven that you should say, who's going to go up to heaven? Bring it to us so that we can hear the commandment that, in other words, hear what you want us to do, and then we'll do it. Do you see the understanding there? That's where people fail when it comes to the commandments of God. If people think that God is, has sent Christ to come from heaven to earth to tell us what to do so that we would do it, you are so off, right? And you know nothing then about what Christ came to do. Like if that's actually what we think, if we think that despite everything that we've heard about the suffering of Christ, that if all that Jesus was coming to do was to tell us what to do so that we would do it, why would he have to suffer? Think about that for a second. Why would you need to suffer? Just tell people this is what you have to do or you're going to die. You, this, is, this is what you have to do. Do it or else, right? And, and we would think, of course, I don't believe that. Of course. But you think that when you do something wrong, the reason why things go wrong for you in that day is as a result of what you've done, as a result of your disobedience, right? So, so when we don't understand our obedience and we think our obedience is contrary to what I just read to you, this is Deuteronomy. This is, this is the initial, this is what, what Jews still call part of the Torah. This was written by Moses, right? It's not written by Matthew. It's written by Moses. Moses said, the command that God is giving to you is not, not going to come to you from heaven right? And then you're going to have, I'm going to tell you that here's what you have to do, and you do it. You know what that's describing perfectly? The law, right? Right? Angels sent from heaven, right? Uh, uh, the commandment was then spoken to them by Moses. Here, do this. This is the commandment of God, so do it. So he's actually speaking, telling them, your obedience are, is not the commandments that you got at Mount Sinai. He's telling them that clear as a bell. And he also says in verse number 13, Neither is it beyond the sea. You're going to see in a second what he means by beyond the sea is from the place of the dead, right? He's saying, he said, neither is, beyond, is it beyond the sea that you should say, who shall bring it unto us from the depth, right? From, bring it unto us from the depth that we may again what? Hear it and do it. See, if, I, if the mentality of people is, I want to hear it so I can do it, you, you're wrong, right? Well, God has called me to the ministry, so I'm going to do it. Well, there you go, right? There you go thinking that God is asking you to do something, so you have to go do it. That God told you to know him, so you got to open up the Bible and you got to know him. It is not your job to know him. You have a teacher, right? It is not your job to learn the Lord yourself, right? You, you, you can't do it. 
The, the, the hear it and do it thing does not work. He's saying clearly here, the commandment of God is not hear it and do it, right? Hear it and do it, in other words, by the law of righteousness, by the works of men, right? The, the, the law is not God says it and you do it, right? That's not what he's saying. That's not how it works, right? Now, there is, I said there is a command, and, and he's going to explain it in a second. There is a command, and there is a doing, and there is, quote, unquote, a work that we are to do. But if that is clear and you know that it's not you tell me what to do and I'll do it, then it must be something else. And, and he's saying it in Deuteronomy, right? It's not hear it and do it. That's not what it is. Look at verse 14 carefully, though. But it says, but the word, what word? Just think about that for a second. I'm going to stop there for a few seconds. But the word, what word? What are we talking about in Deuteronomy here that is the word? What word? The Bible? What word? What's the word? What is the word? If you don't know that, don't keep reading because you don't know what the heck you're reading, right? Ask the Lord, what is the word, right? So take it into context. He says the commandment that God gives you today, that, that commandment, is not up in heaven somewhere that somebody's going to bring it down, tell you what to do, and you do it. it. It doesn't come from the abyss where somebody brings it up for you and then tells you what to do, and you do it. So it's not hear it and do it on your own, right? That's not the command of God, but the word, the word of what? So let's call it for now the word of the commandment, right? In other words, what God is telling you to do. The word of the commandment. What, what, what is that, and where is it, right? How do, how do we get it? It says the word, the word of the commandment is very near you, very near unto you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it, right? So, so now there's, there's a doing there, there's a doing there that is not, that is contrary to the hear it and do it above. So what's the difference between hear it and do it and hear it and do it? Sounds the same to me, right? Hear it and do it above, he said it's not that. And he says it again, hear it and do it. It's not that. And then here he says that you will hear it and do it. So what is the hearing and do it? You, you just said the word is near you, right? It, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart that you may do it. So what's the difference between the two? You, you, you're, it's like, is this a contradiction in Scripture? Is the Lord confused, right? What is the hearing and do it? And here is the difference, right? There is a difference between what the people of Israel believed, which is who their, the, the, the Deuteronomy was speaking to the people of Israel, right? And, and, and it was given to them so that they would know the commands that you received on Sinai, the way you've interpreted them and the way you've been living by them is you think that that is the command of God, that he wants you to hear that and you do that. But the command of God does not work like that. The command of God is for you to turn your heart to the Lord that he may write in your heart, right? The re in other words, that he may reveal himself in your mind and that in that you would believe. That is the work of God, right? That Christ would reveal himself to you in your mind and then you would do that. Let me, let me show you a little bit more. So he says, um, verse number 15 says, uh, so if we know the word that he's talking about in verse 14 is the word of the commandment, right? Verse 15 says, see, I have set before you uh, this day life and good and death and evil. Verse 16, in that I command you this day. So now, right, now he says, I'm commanding you. 
So it's not like some, you have to wait until the Messiah comes so that you can receive the commandment of God and so that the Messiah is going to come and say, here, you do this, and then the people of Israel will begin to prosper and they'll take over the world and they'll overthrow the Roman government and they'll be able to have, you know, liberty from Egypt and all of this stuff, right? Because what they were looking for was tell us what to do, we'll do it, and the Lord will just lead us as a victorious army, just overthrowing every kingdom, even though the victory was given even though the overthrow is there what they were missing was the obedience right is the obedience is you tell me something and I do it or is the obedience you tell me something and I believe it right those are two separate things they're not the same thing so he says in verse number 16 he tells them remember we're in Deuteronomy right he tells them in that day in that in, in that sorry not in that day in that I command you this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land where you go to possess it. So what he's talking to them about there is that he's telling them the obedience is of your mind and of your heart. He says, you, you're, you're thinking that the command, that this, the Messiah that you've heard and are still waiting for today that you can't wait for the Messiah to come because once he comes, he's going to tell us what to do. We're going to do it, and then we're going to live triumphant, right? But, but that's a very, what, carnal way of thinking. In other words, think of it this way. If you had heard that there's going to come a president, a government, that is going to come into the United States and establish itself, and if you live under that governing power, which is what? Obedient to the government. The government says something, you do it, right? In other words, you're not a lawbreaker. You live by the law of that government. And if you were to live by the law of that government, you will what? You will prosper. You will live in its victory. If you, if you refuse to obey the law of that government that is intended to save you, right, then you end up in jail and you don't, you, 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 in other words, you perish, you die, right? That's what they were looking for. They were thinking that the Messiah was going to come to establish just a physical government to, 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 that he would basically come as a prime minister, as a head over the people and would basically say, I've come to govern you. Do this and you will live. Don't do it and you will die, right? But, that, but he came to do all of that, just not the way they thought he was going to, Right? So because what he was talking to them was about loving him, turning their hearts toward him, loving the Lord your God. I mean, would you ever have thought that so far in the book of Deuteronomy, so far within Scripture, that it would have been taught so obviously and so plainly, the command of God is that you love him. That's your obedience. And if you don't believe that, you will stumble over him. In other words, you stumble over the Messiah that will come, and when he does come, you won't even know him. Because why? Because you're looking for a different, you're looking for a different Messiah. You, you'll, you'll think that he's a false Messiah, right? And you'll move away from him instead of bringing your heart toward him to allowing him to teach you, right? So he said to love him, right? He said that he would, that they would live, that they would multiply the latter part of verse number 16, and the, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land where you go to possess it. Verse number 17 is, but if, you, if in your heart you turn away, right? That's such an important thing, right? Because it's applicable to them and it's still applicable to us today, right? The Lord is saying, just don't turn your heart away from me. I'm not talking about what you do. 
I'm not talking about your actions. I'm not talking about whether you've thought that you've been good or bad. I'm not talking about, you know, Jesus Christ is not Santa Claus, right? Because we think, you know, oh, that's so cute, you know, about Santa Claus. But really think about what it is. He's the one that decides who's naughty and who's nice based on the performance of your own children, right? So when you raise up children believing that there is this mysterious personality that's not mom and dad, this mysterious personality that will bless me on a given day, and if I have been good, if I have not been naughty, but if I've been good, right, he will bless me. And if I have been bad, right, I'll receive nothing, coal, right? And then parents go even farther. They use that then to tell their kids, you better be good or else Santa Claus isn't going to bring you nothing. And we wonder why our kids grow up so screwed up thinking it's all about their performance and they weep and they cry when they're 16 years old and they haven't figured out the rest of their life all of a sudden, right? That they don't know what they want to do with their life and they don't know the profession that they want to take up, right? We, we wonder why our kids are so driven, why they're so driven to do and to want to impress you because you've been raising them like that all their life. But when your children are old enough to understand and you begin to teach them about the grace of God, when you begin to teach them about what their comm the command of God actually is, that there is a God in heaven, that there is a Savior and his name is Jesus Christ, and that he actually did give a command to them and to you. The commands of God are not to adults. The command of God are to the adults and to every child that can understand, right? To every child that's at the age that would allow them to be able to turn their heart towards the Lord and allow the Lord to reveal himself to them. To those those children, and before they are at that age, it is your responsibility to teach them about the grace of God. It's your responsibility to tell them the truth, not use some, some lying figure over their head to get them to behave, right? Listen, we raised children, and we did not do the greatest job ever, but we did one single thing right, and that is that we taught our children Jesus, and even our teaching about Jesus was not 100%, right? Even our teaching of Jesus was not accurate, but what happened is, see, they're not raised when, as they know the Lord. It, it is not me that's teaching them, right? It's either the Lord in me or the Lord himself that continues to reveal himself to them, right? So what was needful was for them to get on the path that they needed to get on with the Lord. In other words, for us to lead them, right, to be able to, until they're at an age where they can't understand, to tell them what the truth is repeatedly. As they continue to grow, give them the opportunity to expand their wings a little bit, for them to be able to get to know him themselves, for them to be able to pray by themselves every once in a while until they can pray and, and read their Bible all completely on their own, right? But, but what, what happens is they grow up understanding and knowing, I understand the command of God. It's to love the Lord my God with, with all. Can you imagine a 13, a 14, a 10-year-old? Can you imagine a 15, a 16-year-old with the only command and burden, quote-unquote, that they have on their lives is to just love the Lord, that they have no other weight upon them? Right? And, and that one command will do what in their life? It will, verse number uh, 16 said, it will cause them to live and to multiply, to be blessed and, and to prosper, to prosper in the things right, that are the Lord's. Right? You, you see how backwards we have it? We, we, we train up, that's why it says to train up your children in the way that they should go. Right? Training up your children in the way that they should go, not in the way everybody else raises their children in, in utter failure, right? Because they bring up these 
paranoid individuals, right, that all that they can do is worry about. Listen, when you bring people up and all that they know is their own performance, they always will fear. They will always live in fear. They will live in fear because you know what? You will never be in your own eyes the best. There's always going to be, and, you, and let's say you have a little season, right, where you're the best at your job. Here comes some college graduate out that seems to do things better than you and is younger than you. You know what you do? You will fear for your job because, again, your blessedness is all about performance. And, and cleanliness is less next to godliness. And if you want to prosper, you know, you'll work hard and you'll get up early and you'll work until the night hours, right? In other words, we make people believe that the way to prosper is just putting your time and, and, and education is the way to prosperity. And if you raise people thinking like that, you're raising people, people that will be adults and will live in fear all of their lives because they don't know how to receive a gift from God, right? They don't know the gift of God, right? They do not know the gift of God. He says, but verse number 17 says, but if, in your, uh, but if your heart turn away so that you will not hear, but you shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, he says, I denounce, that word in verse number 18 also is like, I announce, I tell you this day, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish and you shall not prolong your days upon the land where you, where, um, where you pass over the Jordan to possess it, right? I call heaven and earth, verse 19, to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, right? The Lord says life, death, blessing and cursing. How, what did he say was the way to life, what did he say was the way to blessing, right? The commandment of God, which is love the Lord your God. He said that is the way to that, right? And then the, he, it's clear the way that he said that is to death, right? And wh what did he say that the way to death was? Trying to keep the righteousness by your own works, right? Righteousness by your own works. He says, I call heaven and earth uh, to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live, right? You and your children, right? You and your children. You and every single person that has put faith in Jesus that they might live. You know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons out of many, right, that Reformed Church exists is to be able to tell people the truth so that they can see in their lives the grace of God being multiplied unto them today, right now, right? Today, right now. In 30, Deuteronomy 30, yeah, in Deuteronomy 30, I'll, I'll just remind you of this. He said, for the command, what I'm commanding you, what I'm telling you to do, it's not hidden from you. It's not afar off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who shall come up, uh, come up for us to heaven and bring it to us. And he says, and it's not beyond the sea that you should say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us. Watch the, 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 precise right translation of that interpretation of that in romans chapter 10 and in verse number in look at verse number well look at verse number one let's start romans 10 verse number one it says brethren my heart's desire and prayer to god for israel is that they might be saved so you understand what he's saying this is paul right and he's relating to the Romans, right, that he has had this ongoing desire that the people of Israel, right, that they would be saved. But these are the people of Israel that live with all the tradition. 
These are the people of Israel that live with Solomon's temple, right? These are the people of Israel that lived with the tabernacle that received the law on Mount Sinai and received, right, the second law, right, in the book of, book of Deuteronomy. He says, I want them to be saved, meaning what? They're not, right? In other words, in all of their doing, they have not attained to the righteousness that is of God. In other words, they're still trying to get to that righteousness, and none of them have attained it. He says, watch, he says, uh, he says, my desire is that they would be saved. And look at verse number two. Remember, he's talking now to the Romans. So he's using the people of Israel as an example so that the Romans don't repeat their mistake, right? Don't repeat their blunder because if you do, you're going to end up in the same spot, right? So he says to them, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, the desire that they have to do does not come from them knowing what Jesus has done. The desire for wanting to spread the doctrine is not coming from the revelation of who Christ is, and therefore they want people to know the good news. The zeal that they have comes from their desire to want to attain, right? That's all that, they, so, and he's saying that zeal doesn't work. It, it hasn't gotten them anywhere. It says, um, it says, for they, verse number three, he'll say clearly here, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, that's a cool, really cool way to put it, right? What they're ignorant of is God's righteousness. Now, they, they would think that what they're attaining to through the law is God's righteousness because, after all, isn't God the one that gave the command? Isn't God the one that gave the command, don't commit adultery? And if you don't, don't you get his righteousness? No, you don't. That's the exact point. You cannot. Being ignorant of God's righteousness means you don't know what God has commanded to make you righteous, right? You're, you're missing that. So he says, he says, um, he said, verse number three, for, for, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, not God's righteousness, but they're looking to establish their own righteousness. How do you do that? By trying to work yourself, right? Trying to be good yourself in order to attain something under the existing government, right? But the existing government of the kingdom of God does not give unto its citizens based on their performance, right? The kingdom of God as a whole the reign of God in heaven and the reign of God in the lives of believers today does not work by rewarding previous performance. That's not how he, it, the, the kingdom itself doesn't work like that, right? In other words, it itself, heaven, does not work, it's not a performance-based government, right? Neither does God govern in us by a performance-based system, right? It's maybe the way the U.S. government works. It's maybe the way school works. It may be the way your mommy and daddy taught you. It may be the way college works, but it is not the way God works, right? That's not the way the kingdom works, the reign of God in our lives works. It says, it says they have... Uh, it says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And you know what that really is? So, how, how, you can say that, like, how do I submit myself to the righteousness of God? By submitting your heart to Jesus Christ, right? That is how you submit yourself to the righteousness of God. And he says it in verse number four. For Christ is the end, right? Can you say that in your mind even, right? The end. My God, if every Jewish person could hear that, if every Christian could hear the end, Christ is the 
end of the law for righteousness. He is the end of those Ten Commandments for righteousness. If you thought that you could become righteous by keeping that, Christ is the end of that. The end, right? We all know, right? Like, Reformed Church didn't write this. It sounds like we did, right? But we didn't. He said that. He said, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that what? Believes. So in other words, if you believe in Christ, believing in Christ puts an end to the law of righteousness, right? You, you, don't, you, don't, you're, you will not be blessed because of your performance. Like if you could know that, right? You could do whatever you're going to do, and you, your blessedness has not changed from the day that you received Jesus. In other words, you were born into blessedness. You don't achieve blessedness. You were born into it. You were born with a silver spoon right in your mouth, right? You were born that way. It was given to you. You didn't work for it. You were just born into it, right? A king gave it to you, right? He gave that to you. You don't earn that stuff. It was a gift given to you. That's the grace of God, right, given to you. For Moses, verse number five, Mo, and, and he contrasts, it's beautiful here. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, the man which does those things shall live by them. In other words, for you to live by the Ten Commandments, you got to live by them every single day of your life and never break it once. Because if you break it, you're a transgressor. But, but watch this though. Let's say you've been living by the law, keeping it perfectly for 10 years. On the first day of the 11th year, if you break that law, you are now a transgressor of the law. And since you don't believe in a Christ who came to make atonement for your transgression, who will take away your transgression? No one. Because in, in the actual law, there is a reminder of your sin day after day, year after year, of that one transgression. In other words, you will live forever as a transgressor. Right? No, nothing's going to take away your transgression, right? And, and what will you do? You will repeatedly break. In other words, there is not a single commandment, actually. There is not a single one, a single one, that any man can keep. In other words, people think sometimes, like, oh, yeah, like I can keep, like, the no adultery one. You know, I've been married for 30 years. I've never committed adultery against my... No, no, you don't understand, right? There is not a single one of them that you do not break, there's not a single one of them that you could keep on your own, right? Not a single one of them that you could achieve to on your own because if you didn't do it, you thought it. And if you thought it, you're guilty of it, right? You, you, you will break it, right? Human nature, in other words, the flesh is not obedient to the commands of God. The flesh will break every commandment of God every single time, right? But here he says, he says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It says in verse number five, for Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law that a man that does them will live by them. But, now watch this, check this out, because this is, this is the interpretation of Deuteronomy 30. Deut here he says, but the righteousness which is a faith, right? He says, the, in, in Deuteronomy 30, he says, the command of God is not far away from you, right? But here he says, but the righteousness which is a faith speaks on this wise or speaks this way. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? And then he translates and it says, that is to bring Christ down from above, Right? In other words, the work that was done by Jesus was done once for all time. Right? Nobody needs Jesus to come back down from heaven to tell us what to do so that we'll do it. Right? He says, or who shall descend into the deep, it, which, which in Deuteronomy 30 it was called the sea, right? beyond the sea. Here he says, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. He said, beyond the sea, here he's saying from the dead. So obviously what he's saying is, right? 
that, that no, one, no one can achieve to a righteousness by works, right? By hearing, by that kind of hearing and doing, right? By that kind of hearing and doing. But what, what saith it in verse number, number eight? What does, what does righteousness say? What does the righteousness of faith say? What does the righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus Christ say? The word is near you. What? The word of the commandment. The word of righteousness or the word of faith, right? The word of faith, the word is near you even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. In, in Deuteronomy 30, it just said the word, right, is near you. It was talking about the word of the commandment. But the word of the commandment is faith in Jesus. That is the word of the commandment. Faith in Jesus is, is what God is commanding. If you want to hear, well, what is the spirit of God on the inside of me speaking to me? You, you ever heard people say that? They say, um, they say, oh, you know what? I was like doing this thing and, and the spirit of God on the inside of me, I could sense he was like grieved from what I was doing, right? He was just grieved from what I was doing, thinking like what the spirit of God is trying to do is correct the behavior of men by making them feel guilty and condemning them inside. And if the spirit of God can get you to feel bad, maybe that'll get to change your mind, right? But that is not what the spirit of God in you speaks, the word of what the spirit of God in you speaks. It says you must do this so that you will live. The commandment that the spirit of God in you is speaking, he says, is the word of faith which we preach. Verse number nine, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. In other words, he's saying the gospel. The gospel is what the spirit of God in you is testifying of, and if you will believe it, he will make you righteous. And you know what? With that comes all that stuff that people want, the, the access into the grace of God, the giftings of God, right? All, all, all that they want, the good, the good behavior, the changes in your life, the changes in the way that you speak, the changes in the way you act, the, the changes in the way that you treat other people, right? Because the world is all about that, right? Oh, you got to respect everyone, and you got to let everybody just be their own person, and you, gotta res- you have to do this. And they put it as though, like, that is what the definition of being a good person is giving everyone their space, let them be whoever they're going to be. In other words, respect somebody so much that if you see that they're going to hell in a handbasket, just leave them alone and let them do it by themselves, right? In other words, don't really tell somebody something that's going to give them life, but just let them, if they're going to mess themselves up, let them do it. Everybody has a right to mess themselves up if they want to, right? But in reality, it's not that everyone has a right to mess themselves up. Everybody has a right to choose life or death. But he's going to say it in a second. How can they know, though, to make the right decision if they are not told, right? How can they know to make the right decision if they are not told? If you see someone that is a Hindu and you refuse, you don't want to disrespect their Hinduism, so you will not tell them the truth about Jesus because you don't want to disrespect them, that is not love. That is actually hatred. That's not love. That's hatred, right? The way to love someone is to tell them about the gospel and then leave it up to them whether they decide to or not. That's loving them, right? Because God so loved us. He loved us so much that if you were to love somebody else, you would tell them how much they are loved. Instead of allowing people to live in a lie that tells them that they have to achieve to some state in their lives in order to achieve peace, right? That, that, that's, that's not loving people. That's actually hating people. That's not loving them. 
Contrary, believe me, to very popular belief. I get it. I know. I watch the news too. I hear. I see, I see the movies. I get what people are trying to communicate to them, but it is anti-Christ. It's not according to Christ, right? You, 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 never, thought, you never thought that anti-Christism could come through cartoons, did you? Right? That anti-Christism, right, things that speak completely contrary to Jesus could come to you through a cartoon, right? People think, you know, if you watch the, the certain series that are out there, right, you would think Antichrist, no, he's a, he's a bad person that when you're not looking and he's alone in his house, he turns into a devil and his eyes glow and he grows horns and has a tail, right? You wouldn't know that it's a cartoon that people watch and we pay to take our children to go see. You wouldn't think that that's how it comes through. But anyway, uh, it says, it says, that is the word of faith, verse number eight, the latter, latter part of that. That's the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, watch, listen to the obedience here, right? For it is with the heart that man believes unto righteousness. Pause there for a second, right? It is with the heart that you achieve to righteousness. It is not with your work. It's not with your action. It's not with what you do. It's not how often you read your Bible. It's not how good a Christian you think you are. It's not how long you've been attending that one church. It is by your heart that man achieves unto righteousness. Why? Because righteousness is a gift that comes from a work that Jesus performed for us, right? And it is only by believing in that work, which is why it's in your heart, that you achieve to that righteousness, right? For with the heart, Men believe unto righteousness. That's it. Nothing else. Don't add nothing. It's just that. There is nothing else, right? And with the mouth, it says, confession is made unto salvation. Why? Because you will always speak out of the abundance in your heart. Always. There's no such thing as not speaking out of the abundance of your heart. You will always speak or confess, right, out of the abundance of your heart. That obviously speaks contrary to what people call the confession of faith, right? Because there is a thing of, you know, there is a confession of faith. If you have faith, you will confess it, right? But, but we took that to mean that if you confess it enough, you will have faith. You just put the cart before the horse. What are you even talking about? It's called the confession of faith. You have faith in Jesus, so therefore you confess it with your mouth, right? The believing comes first and the confession comes second, right? You don't confess it enough to then you will eventually believe it, right? That, that's positive speaking. That's carnal, worldly junk garbage, right? That if you say enough, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm not bad, I'm going to make it, 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 you, you're going to make it. You will not make it because you said you're going to make it, right? Saying you're going to make it doesn't make you make it, right? There are plenty of people that say that all the time, and they are what? They end up in shame, right? Faith in Jesus Christ, though, never ends in shame. Never ends in shame, Right? You, you, you will not see Christ reveal something to you, and then that very revelation is the very thing that leads you to shame. Never ends that way. But you, your positive thinking will end you in shame all the time, right? Because it just doesn't work like that, right? Human behavior does not change just because you say you want to change, right? Go and visit every jail around the country and do we really think that everyone who is in jail or even lives today out of jail doing the wrong thing every day, do you think they actually love to do it every single day? They justify what they're doing in order to be able to live with themselves, right? But people don't just love to do the wrong thing all the time and end in failure. People don't love to just hurt their family and see their family end in divorce and broken in little pieces, right? That's not the way people like their families to end up, right? But it happens all the time. Why? just for the simple fact that people just don't know their obedience. They don't know what can bear the fruit in their lives. They just don't know. 
For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, verse number 10, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. He said it there in verse number 11. It was also before in, verse, in chapter 9 and verse number 33 of the same book, right? Whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. And, and lastly, I just wanted to show you this. What does that mean to call upon him, right? Because that's not just meaning, oh, oh, Jesus, right? That's not what that means. Call upon the Lord is not, oh, Jesus, right? Because everybody says, oh, Jesus. When their plane's going down, everybody's saying, oh, Jesus, right? When, you, when, when people are scared, they say, oh, Jesus Christ, right? But they, they don't mean what they say, right? But there's a difference. They said, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? In other words, you can't call on the Lord if you don't believe in the Lord, Right? God, in all of his goodness, in all of his goodness, doesn't just go around saving people because as they're falling down the cliff, they say, oh, Jesus, right? Because he cannot go contrary to his word, right? If you don't believe him, he's, he can't give you his salvation, which he's already given for free. Oh, you're saying you got to work for it? No, you just got to believe it and receive it. But if you've never received it, he can't give it to you. Why? Because you didn't want it. <laughs> you didn't take it. How can, he, how can God force you to take something that you didn't take? How can he force you to want something that you didn't have any desire for, right? So just call. It's not people say, well, if, you know, I remember, you know, my, my mom before she died, you know, she prayed and she still died. Or I prayed and she still died. Are you even saved? Do you even know the Lord? Do you even know what you have through Jesus Christ? It's not that all oh, God is good and he let my mom die, so he's not good the way people say. It's that God is so good and he loved us so much that he sent his son in order so that your mom could live, right? But it was also up to your mom whether she believed. And if she didn't, it's up to you whether you would believe and allow your life to come into your mom, right? But we, we put it on God as though he hasn't done enough, right? Instead, why don't we put it upon ourselves to say, have we heard and believed? Have we been obedient? And that obedience is what? That obedience is simply just, is simply just, the command of God is simply just what? Listen to the Lord and believe Him. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reformed Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this unpopular message to the world. If you'd like to support Reform Church, you can do so at reforminus.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reforminus.com.